Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Good Friday morning. No, this isn't. Well, it is mornings with Carmen, just without Carmen. I'm Paul. Once more, unto the breach we go. As I fill in for Carmen um, this week, she'll be back in on Monday and have some great conversations planned, of course, for Monday on Juneteenth. Today, though, it's the uh, Friday before Father's Day. Gonna kind of reflect on Father's Day in a little bit here. And, uh, of course... It's Father's Day weekend. If you want to share a dad joke on the text line, 877-933-2484. Not opposed to that, because I might share a, a few. But anyway, let's look at our Growing Your Faith First. You probably just heard it. If not, here it is again. First John 3, 18 and 19. Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. What a great verse to wind down this week as I've been guest hosting on Mornings with Carmen. This verse, the verses we've actually seen this week, all have been calling us in one way or another to persevere. To persevere by living out our faith in Jesus and in the ways of the kingdom, even in the face of difficulties. When it's easier to compromise, even when we don't feel like it, even when we have these disordered desires to go a different direction, no. We stop, we hear the Lord's call, we live out our faith, we stand for the truth, right? Now we, okay, I got to be careful here. As a young Christian, I could be quite the doctrine head, and I can still tend that way if I'm not careful. I love to figure out you know, how the Bible interacts and what it says about this issue or that issue. I wanted a good systematic understanding of doctrine so I could contend for the truth. I wanted the truth. Kind of, you know, the uh, Tom Cruise thing from from a few good men there. The problem was I struggled with applying the truth rightly. You could say I couldn't handle the truth, or at least I didn't handle it right. And in many ways, I didn't live out the truth because— Well, leave it to the Apostle John, the Apostle of love, to bring the key aspect of all this obedience to the truth, all of its, all this perseverance we've been called to do to to the fore. Let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Love and action in real life, in real time, to our families, to our friends, yes, to our enemies. It's not that the other writers didn't talk about love in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul would echo it in many places, probably the loudest in 1 Corinthians 13. You remember the lines. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge 
And if I have all faith so as to move the mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So if you want that ultimate gain, to be in that coming kingdom of God, we need to let that faith in that truth be borne out in love. Jesus was very clear about this too. If you go back to the Gospel of Matthew, we were there, was it yesterday I think it was, where he was talking about the final judgment, separating out the sheep, those who truly believe and expressed it through love, and the goats who say they believe but didn't make a difference, it didn't make a difference in their lives. Remember what Jesus said to the goats. Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me. Naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And they will answer, uh, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, if you do not do to uh, if you did not do it one to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here's the rub: love does not take away from doctrine; it sees it, it applies it, it fulfills it, it lives it out. That's the way of the kingdom of God. That's the way to be a citizen of that coming kingdom here, now. So, let's persevere in love. Well, again, Father's Day weekend, time for grilling, ties, dad jokes. And again, if you get some dad jokes, feel free to share them on the text line, 877-933-2484. But hopefully, this will be a time this weekend to honor dads. Now, you don't have to be a flashy dad or one who's at every game or one who tells dad jokes liberally to be a good dad. I want to tell you about one such dad in a few moments here. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Well, again, happy Father's Day weekend, or at least we're getting ready for that. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Ryan has been so faithful, coming in so early each morning to help produce the show. Appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. Happy okay, to be now, here. what's your dad? Now, you have a great relationship with your dad. Yeah. He got you into golf, among other things. Yes. And, and is he a dad joke teller? I mean, here and there, his brother, so my uncle, whenever he visits, he does it like to the moon. Like he will go out of his way to make dad <laughs> jokes, and then everyone says, "Wow, Troy, that was uh, that wasn't too good." But he does it anyway. <laughs> well, you know, as we talked about the other day, the two defining marks of a good dad joke that it's uh, fully grown and apparent. Yeah. So there you, uh, go. you don't have to. Okay, if you want to, go ahead. That um bumps. Yeah, there we go. Well, wasn't super ready for that. I'm ready now, though. <laughs> You're ready now, though. Do you uh, know any of your uh, your uncle's dad jokes off the top of your head? No, I haven't seen him in a little bit. I'll be seeing him next month. Uh, nothing comes to mind right now, and I'm not a dad myself, so I, I can't say it on the spot, if you will. Okay, well, what does your uncle do? 
He uh, he works at Charles Schwab. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not not a blue collar guy like a janitor. No, no, he's not. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> what is- he has all girls, so oh, I feel okay. like when he is around, like my brother and I and other people in our family, it's like his opportunity to use them more on us because we aren't around them as much. So I don't know. That might be part of it. That might be part of it. Now, if he were more blue collar, like a janitor, if he were to jump out of the closet, what would he say? I don't know, Paul. What would he say? Supplies! Okay. (laughs) Okay, not all dads are dad joke tellers. Not all are flashy. Not all dads are very demonstrative in their affection for their kids. You think that might be bad? Well... Jerome Bernard was one of those dads. His friends called him Jerry, born just a few days before Christmas in in 1924. He was the son of a Midwestern farmer. Things were pretty different on the farm back then compared to now. They still had horses to do the heavy work when he started out. Tractors came later. When he was 10, the Great Depression hit. Actually, before he was 10, the Great Depression hit, and farming got to be hard. But... It became really hard for his dad and mom, for his siblings. Uh, Yeah, it was a hard time. They worked hard to make his ends meet, to make ends meet, that is. His dad one time had this idea, you know, to to try and save money. You know, the kids would eat oatmeal for breakfast. Well, he grew oats, and so he just grabbed some oats from the granary and saying, hey, let's uh, just cook this up. Not realizing that, you know, when you buy the rolled oats like the Quaker, they're rolled oats. That's an important part of the process (laughs) to make it so it's edible. So, yeah, it didn't work out too well. Now, while growing up, Jerry was injured in a farm accident that left him blind in one eye. While one of his brothers went to war in WW2, he couldn't. Now, Jerry was pretty intelligent, did very well in school, and even went to college for one quarter, but... The thing was, he enjoyed farming, and so he said, nah, I'm going to go back to the farm. Jerry worked closely with his dad, Fletcher, not only on the farm, but in the township they lived. Fletcher had served as the township clerk for many years, and when Jerry's dad died, young at the age of 48, Jerry and his family continued farming. Jerry took over the mantle of township clerk, a seat that he actually held until the early 90s. It was a side hustle that did offer a little more money on top of farming, which, you know, that's always up and down. Okay, we we haven't gotten to Jerry as a dad yet. That's because Jerry didn't marry until he was like 57 years old. Pardon me, 33 years old. He married in 1957. Although he married late, he and his wife still had a large farm family of nine kids, and they continued farming. Um, along with uh, Jerry's brother, and you know, it was a dairy operation. Income was tight, especially for Jerry and his wife and all those mouths to feed. He was focused on providing, working hard. It was grueling work as a farmer. If you, as his kids, um, and you know, he didn't have much time to play with his kids, with all he had to do. He was a rather quiet sort, too. He wasn't a dad joke teller. And he wasn't very demonstrative in his affection. Maybe it's something that came out of his growing up in the Depression and kind of that World War II generation. But he was faithful. He was faithful to his family, even faithful to his wife, even amidst some of her health struggles. Faithful to provide, working many long days and nights, a work ethic he shared with all his kids. When one of his kids struggled with a severe mental health issue as a young adult... The healthcare providers weren't doing what needed to be done. He, he fought hard, almost an uphill battle to gain custody, guardianship of his son, and won. I always thought Jerry was an amazing guy. 
After all, Jerome Bernard Perot was my dad. As I said, not many have been very vocal about, you know, their love. He may not have been vocal about his love for us. I only remember him actually saying, I love you twice in my life. One was the night he passed away. I was at home in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, working on some stuff when the phone rang and hearing that he was in, you know, pretty bad straits. He was in a hospital in Buffalo, Minnesota, surrounded by my mom and some of my siblings. We had a few last minutes on the phone, and he he said his love for me. I was glad to hear the words, but really, his life of faithfulness was a clear statement, a clear declaration of his love for me and my siblings. I never doubted it. He lived it, as did my mom. There's a line in the song, First Family from Rich Mullins. If you don't know that song, find it on YouTube or Spotify or something. It's a great song. Because Rich grew up in a farm family, too, and so that that kind of gave me that connection there. But there's that line, they worked to give faith hands and feet, but somehow gave it wings. And they did. Miss your dad. This is Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. Okay, Dave from Hedra, Minnesota, texting in a dad joke. I haven't heard this one. I like this one, Ryan. There was once a snowman who was a major drama queen. But one day when the sun got really intense, he almost had a complete meltdown. There you go. I'll take that. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in one more time, and after today, you'll probably say, yes, bring Carmen back, please. Anyway, as we head into Father's Day weekend, a Father's Day conversation of another sort, more about maybe our Heavenly Father. A few weeks ago, I was struck by an article that I saw at evangelicalfocus.com, which is a European Christian news site covering a lot of the religious news happening within the evangelical churches within Europe primarily, but around the world as well. And this article had to do with a meeting of some church leaders in Norway, mainly those who were immigrants to Norway, Christian immigrants. And they, they put into words what they were experiencing in their encounters with Norwegian churches, and the experiences were not all good. While many say they were welcomed with open arms, others said they were met with suspicion and lack of interest. This was more evident when the 61 Norwegian church leaders with a migrant background gathered at an invitation-only meeting in Oslo back on April 17th. The meeting was organized by the Norwegian Council for Mission and Evangelism and the Lausanne Movement, and it was defined as historic. Now, the aim was to create a safe place where migrant leaders could talk freely and share their experiences. They said, you know, one person said it was like a, a bomb for my soul. Yeah, that's how the Norwegian School of Leadership and Theology researcher and former pastor Gabriel uh, Stephen described the migrant gathering. Stephen, a Norwegian-Nigerian, heard the stories of other migrants, and it just confirmed, hey, my experience, I, I, I didn't make it up. It is true. As a migrant, he often felt like not being able, not being someone who had anything to give only a potential recipient of help. It's like an entrance exam you never can pass, he says. 
Stephen encouraged uh, ethnic Norwegians to look inside, be vulnerable, and dare to listen to the migrant experiences. One of the challenging questions he asked is this, is it the case that missionaries accept people from other cultures as long as they are far away, but that it is more difficult to accept them when they come close and want to stand on their own feet? We just want to be friends, have coffee and chat. We don't need to, you don't need to try and fix us, said Ursula, reflecting on what it was like being a migrant in European churches. Ursula is British, although from Indian parents and converted from Hinduism to Christianity, she now resides in Norway. We migrants are not a problem, we're a gift from God. Ursa emphasized as she addressed the challenge directed to the Norwegian church leaders. Many say they dream of a multicultural church. We must realize the dream, she said, painting a picture of heaven where people from all tribes and tongues and all people and nations will praise God together. She continued, make, she continued, make an effort. You can't expect the church to become multicultural and ethnic, multi-ethnic without taking steps as leaders. Will you accept the challenge? Now, my beer going, what does this have to do with Father's Day? That's a lot. We are children of one father. We are equal in his eyes. Do we see each other as equals? Now, yesterday we talked with Craig Brown and Andrea Summer from the movie Between, uh, rather, yeah, Between Mercy and Me. It's a movie that paints a picture about how we can work toward ethnic healing and harmony here in America, which has been an issue for us as well. It's not just an issue happening in Norway. We've been struggling for many years with that. And by the way, that's that movie's coming out on Tuesday. It's a Fathom event. Go to fathomevents.com. You can learn more information about it there and get your tickets if you feel led. But back to what we're talking about. Ask yourself, when I look at someone of a different background ethnically, linguistically, from a different theological tradition, do you see them as them? Or do you say in your heart, brother, sister? (laughs) Okay, a bit of a departure, but some years ago here on Faith Radio on on a previous iteration of our morning show, we were talking with Michael Matheson Miller of Poverty Cure about the wrong mentality in dealing with those in poverty. And he said, deep down, we oftentimes objectify them. They become objects of our pity. They are a them. You treat them differently than if you see them as subjects and partners in their own recovery and use words like we And that phrase has stuck with me all these years because it applies in so many areas of our lives. When you sit down, actually, okay, it applies, like I said, because we're fellow citizens in this coming kingdom. If the we are brothers and sisters, then we're fellow children of the Heavenly Father. We are family Having that we mentality. So will you sit down with them? Okay, there I use the word them, but share stories, learn from each other. When you see God's gift in your brother or sister, do you celebrate them and celebrate the we-ness, the uh, the us? The world is waiting to see this. Do you know that? The world is waiting to see the church actually be that family of the Heavenly Father. 
Let's go back to our Growing Your Faith verse today. We just read it at the beginning of the of the hour. First John 3, 18 and 19, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. That phrase starts out, dear children, we're, we're brothers and sisters together. What an amazing Father's Day gift that would be if, yeah, we were to truly, truly live out the calling as fellow believers, as fellow children of God. Wouldn't that be a great Father's Day gift to our Heavenly Father? Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in. This is Faith Radio. You're getting used to this. You know I like swing music and big band. That's good. Like I'm it. trying to learn, you know, by Friday <laughs> at the very worst. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm Paul filling in for Carmen with Ryan helping out here on uh, Faith Radio on this Friday before Father's Day. Okay, a few more dad jokes, Ryan. Uh, what's the best thing about Switzerland? I, I know they're neutral, but I don't know the punchline here. Why don't I, you give it to me? Well, I don't know, but their flag's a big plus. Okay. <laughs> You're into sports. Yeah. What? Do, okay, you know about, did you do track and field? I did not, no. Okay, well, what does a sprinter eat before a race? Banana? I don't know. Nothing. They fast. Yeah, okay. What has more letters than, a, than the alphabet? I'm not sure. What does, Paul? A post office. All right. <laughs> you... you Ryan, you're going to have to get used to this. Someday, I'm sure you'll you'll get married, have children, and you're you're going to have to do this. It's 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 a gotta. Yeah, when that time comes, I, I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> the reality is, you can find a lot of these online. It's not a problem. Or you can ask people to text in their dad jokes at eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Okay, we were talking about adoption a bit this week, and uh, the Supreme Court just handed down a, uh, a ruling. Preserving a federal law giving Native American families during abortion proceedings preference. Now, the Supreme Court on Thursday handed down this majority opinion uh, was a 7-2 decision for Native Americans by rejecting a challenge in a federal law aimed at protecting children and buttressing tribal identity. Um, Basically, it's part of the Indian Child Welfare Act, which was enacted in 1978 that keeps Native American children with their tribes. Among the challenged uh, provisions was one that gave preference to Native Americans seeking to foster or adopt Native American children. The challenge to this ruling was actually led by Chad and Jennifer Burkeen, a uh, white Christian couple that sought to adopt a Native American boy, which they did. Um, and then they were hoping to also adopt the half-sister of this child, keeping trying to keep that family together. But, again, th- there's that concern about – this is one of the hard things because you want to maintain the culture and the, the identity, but the struggle with what, what's best for the child. And so I, I don't think this, is, this battle is going to be over yet, and I, I can see the concerns both directions. All right. Also in the news – uh, this week, two major Christian denominations here in the U.S. having some very large meetings, the Presbyterian Church in America and the Southern Baptist Convention. 
Uh, I hope you've been praying for them. When these meetings happen, there's usually a lot of important discussion going on. Now, Dan DeWitt from Theo Latte, he's a Southern Baptist. He's joining us next from New Orleans. He was in the meetings this week down there. So we'll talk with Dan here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Okay, Paul from Cottage Grove, Minnesota, sending in a dad joke on the text line. You can do the same, 877-933-2484. Paul says, I know a coroner whose business model is making coffins out of glass. I'm not sure if he will be successful, though. Remains to be seen. A little quicker on the... uh... Anyway, uh, Paul filling in for Carmen and joining me now, one of our favorites, Dan DeWitt, who's with the Theo Latte blog, also a Southern Baptist. So he's joining us live from uh, from uh, New Orleans, where they had their big meetings this week. What's crackalacking down there in the bayou, Dan? What's crackalacking, Paul? You know, I need to take this moment okay. to issue a brief service announcement. Whoever stole my copy of Microsoft Office, I will find you. You have my word. Anyway, yes, you are a dad, and we'll talk about that, too, because, you know, I I still remember you doing this uh, road trip, the uh, Route 66 road trip with your twin boys. That was just so cool. How many years ago was that now? It was during COVID. It was was 2020, and we're actually going to go back. You know, COVID hit, and gas dropped like 99 cents a gallon. I know. It was cool. Hotels were like 30 bucks. And um, I mean, we were, it, it was really inexpensive, but there was the George Floyd. Ah, um, uh, yes. Yeah, protests. And so we had to be really careful where we went because in some places it got, you know, got out of hand, as you, as you will know. Mm-hmm. And so we're well. hoping to go back next summer and finish from, um, Flagstaff to Los Angeles, because we had to cut that part of the trip out. Mm, Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we'll talk about you and your sons and some lessons learned there. But first, now, like I said, you've been down in uh, New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention's gathering. And I I tell you, if you you follow the news sites, and they always go for whatever sizzling, whatever is the hot topic. And so they make it seem like it was a contentious time. Was it really? I mean, you were there. You were on the floor. Tell us. Well, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention really only exists for like two days out of the year. And so it's a family of independent churches. We don't have a hierarchy where we actually are mandated what churches should do. They're completely autonomous. But we come together for a couple of years every year for the Southern Baptist Convention, for the convention meeting where we vote on things. And people were really anticipating just a challenging, angry, tense meeting. And that's not really what happened. Um, there were some pointed decisions that had to be made. And so Southern Baptists have very clear, um, clear yet sufficiently broad kind of boundaries for what it means to be Southern Baptist. And so anytime there's a confessional statement for Southern Baptists, our statement that summarizes what we believe about the Bible um, is called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And it's called 2000 because that's when it was last updated. Mm-hmm. And so that any confessional statement is really set to regulate what you believe, but also to liberate you. So within those boundaries, you could differ on different things. But at some point, you differ so much that you're really not you're really not with 
the main program anymore. And so what happened was that we had a couple of churches that have moved outside of the confessional statement. And that doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean that they don't love Jesus. It just means that they don't line up with where we are. And one of those churches that gets, you know, a lot of press because their pastor is so influential was Rick Warren and Saddleback. Mm-hmm. And so news really latched onto that as, you know, this was this really tense thing. And it was a tense moment, to be honest, Paul. Um, but Overall, the the sense in the room was a sense of love and appreciation for one another. And, you know, the fact that you are not aligned anymore with what it means to be a Southern Baptist church doesn't mean that God isn't using that church. It just means in the same way that a church that's perhaps, say, Presbyterian or Lutheran or Methodist doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they're different. Than Baptist. Mm-hmm. Now, if if uh, Rick Warren's idea, you know, when it came to uh, long female pastors, you'd have to change the the statement again. The two thousand, you'd have to have the twenty twenty three statement. That's right, and so really, it would become a question of is the entire convention going to change to accommodate a couple churches, mm-hmm. or has the convention already agreed? This is where we stand on the issue. Um, it could be contentious because, you know, often in those settings, it's charged for kind of rhetoric and grandstanding. But ultimately, what I think is going on is we're just saying, you know, this is what it means to be Southern Baptist. And it's clear. You've made it clear that you don't want to be that. No, and part, so, yeah. yeah. I was just saying, apart from that issue, though, I mean, otherwise you're saying it was hopefully a, mostly a sweet time. You know, it really is. And I, I think that um, and I went in, I always go into these things with some anxiety and I, I, I get really energized sitting down, having conversations like this. I, I get depleted, you know, kind of walking through conference convention halls, um, you know, kind of doing the dog and pony shows. I was going kind <laughs> of like, you know, where can I go and hide? Um, but I, I always almost always leave encouraged. And so the thing it's it's a family of churches and it's a family reunion. And if you think of any family reunion, you know, you've got your weird uncle who's going to like, you know, um, make you feel awkward or whatever. And you've got that aunt you can't wait to give a hug to. And, you know, that's what this is like. It's just a, it's a big family reunion. Um, I would say don't, you know, you could read the news stories and see what are the highlights? What are the major decisions that we had to deal with? And this is true of any, you know, any gathering of churches that want to partner together. There will be differences that we have. But overall, you need to know, first of all, that the sense in the room for the most part was 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 good. It was charitable. It was encouraging. I am really encouraged that our um, Bart Barber was elected president for a second term. I mean, we have a humble, gobbly, winsome man who's serving a pastor who's serving our convention. And that's a really great statement of health. There's a lot, there are different directions the convention could have went that I think would really show um, a a movement away from a healthy, robust, um, evangelical commitment to engaging the world. And the fact that Bart Barber, um, and people may not know him, but he's a pastor of a small rural church in Texas. He's a farmer. Um, he's also a brilliant guy. Um, out of all the presidents in previous years, Bart had to ask the parliamentarian to step in far less than any previous president, just because he understands Robert's rules of order, which is already boring your listeners. <laughs> but well. there were just a lot of really, really good signs. And uh, and he won by almost 70% of the vote. And that's a really healthy mm-hmm. statement about our future. That is. so. Well, again, we're talking with Dan DeWitt, who you can find his writings, which we're going to get to right now, at his website, theolatte.com. He has a wonderful blog, among other things, and a podcast, and just a lot of good stuff. And, and he likes coffee, which makes him a really good 
guy. So we <laughs> like that. But okay, before you went on this trip down to New Orleans, you also spent some time with your sons on a camping trip with your church. And you have some thoughts that came out of that. So I want you to start sharing that. Yeah, we had a, a camping trip that our church put on. It was for fathers and sons. And it was a, um, you know, we we camped, we cooked food over an open fire. We, you know, did manly stuff. Arr, we arr, stunk. Arr. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so the 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 second, the next, the the morning, the next morning, there was a leader who over the campfire that morning after breakfast gave a devotion from Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, which reads, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so in listening to this, you know, it kind of hit me for the first time. I think I've always read this passage and kind of felt like Solomon's going, you know, two is good. Two is better than one. Two is better than one. Two is better than one. And then he gets to the end of the passage and it's kind of like he says, and yeah, no, what's better than two? Three. Yeah. <laughs> you can't break three. And it's like, oh, well, now we've introduced a third friend. And as you and I talked about offline, you know, there could be some, um, we could have different interpretations or kind of perspectives about what that third thing well, yeah, is. Because that that's the verse my wife and I used when we got married. That was our, our key verse. And we even did the, if you ever seen the unity braid. Um, yes. Yeah. I've not seen the braid. I've seen the candle. Well, no, no, this is unity braid. So you have the three cords. And as part of the ceremony, I was holding the cords and Jessica she braided them together, and then we have wow. it hanging, and it has the. We have a plaque on the wall where that is hanging, and there is the verse from Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine nine through twelve, with it. That is very cool. It is cool, and, and yeah, from and from that perspective, the third quarter would be God. Exactly, right? exactly. That's what it is. And so, and so, I think that for me, sitting there that morning, the kind of the angle that I saw that I hadn't really thought about before is, you know, I think that you know. The text isn't entirely clear, you know, right? Like there's some third thing here. And I think that God certainly would be an appropriate way to see it. The way I saw it that morning was that the third thing was actually their friendship. Mm -hmm. That when two people come together, something new is created that didn't exist before. And so where there's one man, there's not a friendship. Where there's two men, two men, then you have this or two ladies. Um, you have this third thing, which is a friendship, which together forges something that's very difficult to break. And Solomon doesn't say that it can't be broken. Um, he just says that it's not it's not quickly or easily broken. And it was a reminder for me, and I thought it was such a, a good word for um, our sons who were sitting around that campfire, and for, and for the dads because we had you know you know what happens you get a bunch of guys together we're sitting around talking our kids are playing you know it was a reminder we need each other. And the real challenge in life um, is the the real challenges in life are we will endure them, not in isolation, but mm -hmm. with God's help and with one another's help. And, you know, to be honest, you mentioned asked about the convention. We were my wife and I were reminded this week of just how therapeutic it is to be with people who love you and your family mm -hmm. and to catch up. We, we we went to dinner with some friends. We got at the restaurant at 530. They kicked us out at 10, and then we went to a hotel lobby for two more hours. So. Oh, sweet fellowship. What a beautiful chord right there. 
Yeah, so. that's right. All right. Well, Dan Dewitt is our guest this morning here on Mornings with Carmen. Just without Carmen, she'll be back in on Monday. I'm Paul. And as we continue our conversation, okay, well, there's a lot of talk about deconstruction. And then the question, okay, how do you know what you know? And, well, how do you know what you know? We're, we're, we're going to talk about that next with Dan DeWitt on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Well, thanks again for listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. Carmen back on Monday. And uh, Dan DeWitt is joining us now, not normally where he usually is, because he's joining us from uh, New Orleans, where he was part of the Southern Baptist Convention and their meetings this week. I'm, I'm sure that it, it was a big convention center, wasn't it, Dan? Lots of stairs and such? Yes. You know, I, I, don't, I don't trust stairs, Dan. They're up to something. <laughs> oh, I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I love what you write each week, getting us to think well uh, at your Theo Latte blog. And there's also, you do this uh, worldview reader that, okay, when you join us, you usually have one out with a whole bunch of other articles. We might get to some of those. But one I want to think about with you is, okay, you saw an article called How to Think Like a Philosopher, and that one got you, <clears throat> well, thinking. Explain why. <laughs> Well, it's about how you know what you know. And before we get into it, I think need to ask you a question, Paul. Oh, yeah. Did you know that the first French fries weren't cooked in France? They were cooked, cooked in, in Greece. Cooked in Greece, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. So the, the article is by a philosopher whose name is Peter Cave, and he's a, a well-established um, and respected author. He wrote a book, How to Think Like a Philosopher. And what he argues for is that we really need to come completely ditch all the beliefs we've accumulated throughout our lives and just start over, try and get a fresh start. And he uses the philosopher Rene Descartes, um, who famously said years ago, I think, therefore I am. And that may seem, that's a bizarre statement. It doesn't make sense on face value. But what Descartes was doing is he, he was questioning everything, just like Peter Cave suggests. And he was saying, you know, what's the one thing I can't question? And the one thing I can't question is that I am thinking. And the fact that I'm thinking um, implies that I exist. So I think, therefore, I am. And then for Descartes, he felt like that established an inscrutable foundation for them thinking about other things. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that what Peter Cave is pointing out is, is a valid point if we are born as a blank slate. If we are just kind of born, you know, if the way we think about the world and our beliefs is just a blank canvas, then at some point you hit reset and you clean all that off and you start over. But what if we're not? <laughs> what if we're not a blank slate? And so for the Christian, we have to say, what's the Bible say about this? What's the way we should look at this question? And the Bible shows us that there are a couple things that we are born with innate knowledge, things that... um 
things that we know just by being human. So for example, um, the apostle Paul says that um, we all know that there's a God, that God mm-hmm. has made the world in such a way we know um, without needing an argument, without needing someone to explain it, we simply know God exists. And so as you're thinking about how to kind of reset, you know, perhaps some bad views, some bad beliefs, what you can't reset is that God exists because Paul says that would require you to suppress what you know to be true mm-hmm. in unrighteousness. And so I would love to talk more about like the theory of knowledge, because I think it has good application for Christians. But to begin with, we have to recognize the Bible doesn't give us a, a category for just getting rid of all of our beliefs. We can't. Because mm-hmm. as Solomon said, God placed eternity in our, in our hearts. Okay, can you summarize uh, your theory of knowledge in like two, three minutes? If not, or 90 <laughs> well, seconds, you know? Well, the, the theory is called justified true belief. And you could think about it this way, that if, if something is true knowledge, you actually have to believe it. Mm-hmm. You don't have knowledge of something that you don't believe. And so you do have to believe it. But then that actually has to be true. I mean, I could believe that I was, you know, six foot five, just because I believe it doesn't make it true. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I'm like five foot nine. Take after my short Italian Italian mom. Don't call been... that short to me. Oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> my brother, my brother, my dad are both six one. So, oh, well, okay, um, okay. And my kids five, are both six, six five, three. Five and so. a half. So you know. <laughs> anyway, continue. So, you, you have to believe it. It has to be true, but then you have to believe it for valid reasons. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if I were to tell you, Paul, I have the, you know, the winning lottery ticket in my pocket, and let's say I did indeed have a lottery ticket for tonight, and um, say I win. So I would be thrilled about that, and hopefully I can you know, take you out for a nice steak meal and buy you a new car while I'm at it. That'd be good. <laughs> I'm, but, I'm down for but, that, yeah. <laughs> The truth is, at this moment, I don't have true knowledge of that, even though it turns out to be true, because I don't believe it for good reasons. It's wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. So you actually have to believe something, justified true belief. It has to be true, and then you have to believe it for justifiable reasons that are just are well-grounded or justified. When it comes to the Christian, Jesus turns this conversation kind of on its head because he tells us the, that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. John tells us that he's written these things that we might know that we have eternal life. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain beliefs that we are born with. And then the spirit is the ultimate justification of the fact that God exists and that we know God. And so I think a conversation like this is helpful because there are bad beliefs that we form over time and that we should be critical of kind of the cultural baggage we've taken on. But at the end of the day, there are certain things we can know with absolute certainty, and it's not by jettisoning all of our beliefs, but as Christians, it's by running to them. Mm, Good point. Good point. Oh, you mentioned Descartes. Did you know how he passed away? I don't. Well, he was at a restaurant. He was ordering dinner, and the and the waitress asked, "You want a side salad with that?" He said, "I don't think so." Poof. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It one took more. me a second, Paul. <laughs> <sighs> You're the philosopher. You're anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, real quickly though, before we go, um, because screw tape letters and all that is so much fun stuff. Talk about your mere caffeination podcast. You know, have something. Tell us about what we have going on this summer with uh, that highlights the screw tape letters. 
Yeah, so I, I started a, a podcast. I had some friends encourage me to do that and now took a remote position at Southwest Baptist University. And so it was a great opportunity to try and develop resources that I could do remotely. They'll help promote the school and then be a useful resource. So the title of the podcast is Mere Caffeination. We have seven episodes in season one. I interview people like Karen Swallow Pryor, the notorious KSP. She's a literary mm, professor. Yes. Yes. So just wonderful, wonderful lady. Sam Albert. Trillian Newbell, Amin Hudson, who you might not have heard of, but he's the co-host of the Southside Rabbi podcast that he does with KB. And so I interview those guests. But in addition to the interviews, I give an overview in those seven episodes of the Screwtape Letters. And so if you're looking for a challenge this summer, um, check out that podcast and get an overview of the Screwtape Letters. And here's some great some interviews with some really, really wonderful individuals. Agreed. Agreed. Sounds awesome. So check it all out, theolatte.com, and, um, and enjoy some coffee while listening. That's all I can say. So, Amen. <laughs> hey, Dan, <laughs> thanks again for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Paul. Take care. All right. Stay with us again. More with Mornings with Carmen on the way here on Faith Radio. Ah, getting ready for Father's Day weekend. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen one more day here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Okay, getting together Father's Day weekend. Maybe you're going to finally use up all those ketchup packets and mustard packets that are sitting in the drawer that you have. Do you have a problem with that, Ryan? I mean, I understand why there's so many in the drawer. Just the thought of all those ketchup packets, I mean, gives me some rough memories from college where people use way too much ketchup, <laughs> but I won't I won't go there. Well, okay, usually they just sit in the drawer, maybe you find a use for them. Wouldn't they be cool if they could be collectibles? I think you're going to tell me that they are collectibles. Well, they can be, actually. <laughs> this year, Heinz is working uh, to uh, put out, what they, they, they call it the Limited Edition Sauce America Packet Collection. It includes all 50 states, inspired condiment wrappers, basically different wrappers for all these different things, a unique design for each state. For example, if you get the Idaho one, what do you think's on it? A potato? Well, close. French fries. Oh, okay. All right. And what, about, uh, and what about Wisconsin? Uh, cheese skirt. Yes. What else would it be? Yes. Oh, ever had a warm, squeaky cheese curd? I'm going to make a controversial. I'm going to make a controversial statement. I'm not a fan of cheese curds. <laughs> that is so controversial. How dare you? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway, stay with us coming up next hour. We're going to be looking at uh, AI. Should Well, we love our AI and we don't. Anyway, we're talking to Adam Holtz from Plugged In, plus some movie reviews as well. That's coming up here on Mornings with Carmen. Again, remember, all conversations are available at MyFaithRadio.com because we'll have the podcast up later today. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.